Welcome to the Stalk Under Mythics podcast with your hosts, Donnie and Rob. We're here to help you thrive in a world of big data and complex analytics. How are you doing this week? How is everything going in your world? Going good over here. How about you, Donnie? Doing great. Weather's been incredible. Um, it's summertime, which is my favorite season of the year. And so I am uh, I'm excited and uh, really enjoying um, both the rain we've had because it makes everything grow, but also just these beautiful sunny days we've had the last, the last few days. I'll, I'll take spring and fall over summer, but it's not bad. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, my wife and I always talk about this. I love to sweat. I love to get outside and just <laughs> I don't get that. Yeah. And my wife doesn't either. And she uh for whatever reason won't give me a hug when I'm all sweaty. I don't know what the deal is. But anyway. Yeah. Can't, um, can't imagine why. I can't either. Uh so Rob, today I uh I wanted to read you a list of um what I consider to be some obscure facts, but they okay. all have they all have a single thing in common. And so as I read through this list, I want you to think about these and, and think about and see if we can figure out or see if you can figure out what all these things have in common. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to le- read through these pretty quickly, but it's a pretty long list. So okay. um, bear with me. So goldfish only have a three second memory. Um, we only use 10% of our brains. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Washington had wooden teeth. Um, women accused of witchcraft were burned at the stake during the Salem witch trials. Okay. You need to drink at least eight glasses of water every day. You'll get cramps if you go swimming right after you eat. In the days of Christopher Columbus, everyone thought the world was flat. Dogs only see in black and white. Adding salt to water makes it boil faster. It takes seven years for your body to digest gum. You swallow eight spiders a year while sleeping. (laughs) The Great Wall of China is the only man-made structure visible from space. Okay. Napoleon Bonaparte was extremely short. A penny dropped from the top of the Empire State Building could kill someone. Albert Einstein failed math class. You have to wait 24 hours before submitting a missing persons report. Touching a toad will give you warts. The forbidden fruit in the story of Adam and Eve is an apple. Your hair and fingernails continue to grow after you die. If you touch a baby bird with your bare hands, its mother will reject it. Cracking your knuckles too much will cause arthritis. Sugar causes hyperactivity in children. Bats are blind. Lightning never strikes twice. Humans only have five senses. Shaving your hair makes it grow back thicker. 
Chameleons change colors to blend in with their surroundings. The Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th. Bananas grow on trees. Dogs sweat through their tongues. It's safe to eat food that's been on the floor for five seconds or less. (laughs) Fortune cookies originated in China. Cinco de Mayo is Mexico's Independence Day. You should pee on someone if they get stung by a jellyfish. Brown eggs are more nutritious than white eggs. Going outside with your hair wet makes you sick. Peanuts are a type of nut. Twinkies have no expiration date. Sugar causes headaches. The odds are always 50-50 in a coin toss. Every living thing dies. So that is a list of obscure facts. Some of them obscure, some of them not. Um, But as we read through that list, Rob, what, what do you think they all have in common? Okay, well, they have nothing in common on the face of them. There's, there's no theme running through those. Um, some of them I think are true, and some of them I think are false. Like I, like adding salt to water, that, does, that doesn't make it boil faster. It raises the boiling point. I learned that in high school science, so it makes it boil hotter. Um, but some of them, like Napoleon was short. So I don't know. It, it, it sounds like some of them are true. Some of them are false. I, I don't know. Are they all like something my grandmother taught me or are they something <laughs> that you found in, you found in like that book, Mental Floss or something like, I don't know what the, they sound all true, except for a few that I know are false. So I see nothing, no commonality. Yeah. Those, the, so the interesting thing is, is every single one of the things I just said are, are false. Everyone. Every single one of those things is false. That's very surprising. Like, like Napoleon was short. I mean, that, that's what all the history books say. He was short by today's standards. He was about five foot five inches, uh, the best folks can figure. And um, that was about the average size of a man back then. So um, he was short by today's standards, but not short relative to his contemporaries. What about a chameleon changing his colors to blend in with the surroundings? Um, they do change their colors, but they change in order to regulate their body temperature, not in order to blend in with the surroundings. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Going outside with your hair wet. That's, that's one my grandmother did tell me that yeah. I'll, I'll get sick. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that's one like having two girls that to have long hair and they wash all the time. That's one we kind of live by. Um, <laughs> colds are caused by a virus and they don't care whether your hair is wet or dry. You cannot catch a cold or the flu just by going outside with wet hair. Oh, um, okay. So they're all false. I'm going to have to go back and listen to all of them because that's surprising me. Yeah. There's a few in here that um, was a lot in here, actually, that I, you know, I was taught growing up and I've never really necessarily taken the time to, uh, you know, go investigate like the, you know, and the one is, um, and we we always joke about this is, uh, you know, can't wait to be grandparents so we can sugar our kids uh, children up and send them home so they'll be hyperactive right. but um yeah they did a meta-analysis and a bunch of different studies and there was not a link between the amount of sugar and diet and hyperactivity or behavior of kids and so um doesn't seem that there's a there's a real link there so yeah all these things um at least based on the current evidence we have or are, are 
demonstratively false, um, every single one of those things. And a couple of them are just kind of interesting facts, like Cinco de Mayo um, is actually not Mexican independence. Yeah. It's actually just, uh, it was a military win. On May 5th, 1862, yep. they defeated France in the Battle of Puebla uh, during the Franco-Mexican War. So, um, you know, it is, uh, you know, some of these things have seemingly some root um, in reality, but uh, but they, yeah, they're all false. <laughs> they all are not true in some form or fashion, every single one of those things that we, we just read. And so uh, I know you said your grandmother had told you some of those things. Like, are, are some of those things things that you walk around with on a daily basis and kind of believe and, and um, wouldn't really question? Yeah, I think I just put it somewhere back in my hard drive in my brain. And I, I mean, I don't think about it on a daily basis, obviously, but I don't believe I swallow that many spiders when I sleep, but some of those things, yeah. Um, I would certainly, you know, like being a parent, like if my kid went out with a wet head on a winter day, I'd, be, I'd say, no, no, let's dry that off. Like, I don't know why I believe it, but it's back, back there in my, in my hard drive up there, like as a fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a, that's, that's the focus I want to talk about today. So I want to talk about something called the illusory effect, illusory truth effect. Um, and uh, we'll talk about what that is when we come back, but you know, these are, most of these things are things that just kind of get passed around They're uh, from generation to generation or person to person. Uh, I would say most of these things, and the one about the 10% of the brain, I remember as a kid being in science class and I'm 99.9% sure my teacher actually said, that we only use 10% of our brain. And it turns out that um, we do use the majority of our brain. We actually use pretty much all of our brain and it's mostly engaged most of the time. And so, um, yeah, so let's talk about when we come back, you know, what's going on here? Like why, why do a lot of those things feel true to us? Um, and, you know, where does that actually come from? Sound good? Sounds good. All right. Welcome back. Okay, Donnie, I spent the break researching some of these things, and you're right. They are not all true. In fact, they are the ones that I could check were false. Um, so this leads me to my next question. Why do I believe these things or how, how have so many of these things come into my brain as a fact? Like, how do these things get started? Yeah. And, um, you know, last week's episode, we talked a little bit about... Um, the idea that a lot of the way that we interact with the world that is full of data information is shaped not only by the sort of scientific mathematical process, but also by sociology and psychology. And in this particular case, there's something that uh, people research and they've given it a little bit of a weird name, which is the uh, illusory truth effect. Okay. An illusory means just, uh, you know, an illusion, right? So it's, it seems to be true, but it's not. And uh, what this research really focuses on is this idea that if we hear things over and over and over again, we tend to believe them as truth. Um, things that are familiar to us, uh, we accept as being more truthful than things which are new to us. And so if over time we hear that Napoleon, Dino, uh, I started to say Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, Napoleon Bonaparte was... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I was going to do a Napoleon Dynamite uh, imitation, but I'll, I'll skip that. But um, Thank um, you. Napoleon Bonaparte is short. Um, if we hear it over and over again, then when somebody else says it, it's familiar to us. We have a fluency in that. 
And because we have a fluency in that, then we, we tend to believe it to be true. And so um, there's this thing that happens, and this is a psychological process because internally, the way that we access information, um, you know, we're basing it largely on our own experiences and what people around us have experienced and what they've told us. Um, that bank of information, if it's something that we have heard, seen, or interacted with before, when it comes in and somebody tells it to us, we tend to believe it is truth. Because I've heard something like that before. Is that what like it's familiar to me, so it sounds more factual? Correct. Something that is new, huh. some, some idea, some notion that is new, um, we, we tend to dismiss. Um, we tend to actually think about more rationally. And we also tend to have more suspicion about it. But ideas or thoughts or sets of words, which we have heard before, just because we're familiar with them, um, we tend to give more credence to. So if I hear something false once and I don't research it, you're saying the next time I hear that same claim that I'm bound to believe it because I, I haven't verified, I've just heard it, it's familiar. And then, oh yeah, I've heard that before. And it just like goes on and on like that. It goes on and on like that. And, you know, again, this is where um, huh. the intersection of psychology, sociology, science, math all comes into play, right? So um, the way our processing works makes us believe those things more. And then sociologically, as these ideas get passed around, more people have heard them. Therefore, uh, they sort of gain an air of truth, right? So the more times you repeat something, um, the more times something is passed around, the more likely it is that people in a society are going to believe uh, that whatever you're talking about is actually true. So the effect gets stronger, like on the third, fourth, fifth, sixth time I hear this same yep. thing. The more you've heard things repeated, the, the more your experiential data has been filled with a particular idea, the more likely it is you're going to believe it when someone else says it. Wow. And so studies have been done on this. This isn't just, uh, this isn't just Donnie talking, right? This has been proven. Um, this is not Donnie talking. And, you know, I always hate to use the word proven. Um, right. But there is a lot of evidence for it. And, um, you know, the, the interesting thing is, is you might say, well, uh, maybe the way to combat that is to give people the 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 truth, right? Give them the real information. And yeah, you know there there is a paper that was put out in 2015. Uh, it's Fazio, Brashear, Payne, and Marsh. And what they found is uh, they really wanted to test an assumption. Uh, people historically have thought that this effect was only there if there was an absence of knowledge. So if it was an ambiguous statement or something you didn't have any experience in that the ability to sort of repeating um, untrue things would actually work. Um, but what they found is, is that even in situations where the people knew uh, that it was untrue, that this repetition still had an effect on their belief that it was true. Wow. Okay, so let's take an example. Does this effect apply to me? It's, tell me, like, if you come to me with a claim, but I already have knowledge of something, like, does this effect still take hold or do I, does it have to be something that I know nothing about? Um, no, it doesn't have to be anything you know nothing about necessarily. Um, even stuff that you know about. Um, and, and I guess the, the, the difference would be, you know, there are situations where the things you know are true and aligned with reality. And there are situations where the things you quote unquote know are not true and aligned with reality. You know, in the situation where what you've heard and what you know is aligned with truth, no harm, no foul. Um, the problem is, is there are lots of scenarios where we as human beings have heard things over and over 
that are not true. And so once those are implanted in our minds, um, it becomes really difficult um, to change it, partially because when somebody tells us that again, because it's part of our sort of database of information, um, it sounds familiar. It sounds like something we had some fluency in. We understand it because it's been told to us before. And therefore, we are much more likely to believe it. And it is much more difficult to actually change people's uh, minds when that's actually true. Wow. So like a lot of these other things that we've talked about in other episodes, like motivated reasoning and confirmation bias, this also sounds like it has a very strong pull, like a very strong effect. Is that correct? Yes, it does. And and again, this is partially, um, as we talked about, like our... The, the way that we interact with the world and think about the world, when we talked about last episode, uh, we just aren't used to a world with so much information. Um, you know, these patterns and the ways of thinking about the world have been developed and passed on for generations. And, um, you know, in those situations, we just didn't have access to all the information. So we had to rely on other people's experiences that we came in contact with. So the more that we heard something from other people, the more likely it was to be true. Um, and that had a real big benefit, right? So like, you know, a particular plant is poisonous. Um, I don't want to find that out for myself. I want to hear from other people. <laughs> right. I want to hear it from other people first before I eat it or, you know, preparing food in a certain way will make you sick. I don't want to have to live through that. I want to hear from other people. And so um, there's a rationality to it, which is the more we hear something and the more we hear from other people, the more likely it is that we are to believe it and sort of see it as true in a world of small data where you're relying on your own experiences and those of the people around you, that is very beneficial. And there's still lots of places in our current world where that's beneficial. But now we have access to all this data information, which allows us to understand um, you know, more robustly what reality actually is. And those two things a lot of times come in conflict. So we've heard something as truth from a lot of people. We have a scientific study or we have a bunch of data that refutes that. Um, but it's not familiar to us. It doesn't sound like the thing that we've heard from other people. And so we tend to dismiss that more um, more offhand than we would, um, you know, something that was aligned with the things that we'd heard before. Wow. Well, wh- while you were talking about that, the, all these things that kept popping into my mind were all these commercials from my childhood and my adolescent years, all these jingles and all these claims that marketers have made. Like, it sounds like the, like that's the first thing that I thought of when you said that, like, this is probably something marketers use because I have these things stuck in my head that four out of five dentists prefer and nine out of 10, whatever, you know, all these claims that were made and just repeated over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly marketers understand this. Um, Politicians understand this. I mean, if you think about Donald Trump, love him or hate him, I'm not going to take any political positions here, but one thing he is incredibly good at is just repeating something over and over and over again, right? So he, um, and you know, a lot of politicians are this way. They get a message and they repeat it over and over and over again. And they repeat the same thing over and over and over again. And at some point, whether it's grounded in truth or not, if you hear it so many times, you're likely to believe it. And so the way you can actually prime the pump um, for something you want to do in the future is just to repeat over and over and over again yeah. that something is actually true. And so, yeah, marketers understand this. Politicians understand this. Um, most people who are trying to influence other folks understand this principle. Either they understand it because they've studied it or they kind of understand it intuitively. 
And that's what politicians do, right? They, what's the big term? Stay on message, right? They all huddle up. And, and I'm, I'm talking both sides, Republicans and Democrats. They huddle up and, they, and then they're, okay, you're going to make the rounds on all the talk shows. Stay on this. This is what we're going to say. And here are your talking points. And just say that over and over. And then you get all the minions to go out on all the talk shows. Stay on exactly that message. Just keep repeating it. And then you've got the other side of the aisle going on the same, going on different talk shows and saying the complete opposite message. But it's just like it's just repetition. Right. It is. And, you know, again, it's compounded by um, this new technology we have access to now, which is social media. And, uh, you know, folks have figured out that if you um, if you hear from a lot of your friends, some particular soundbite, some particular thing, if you hear from a lot of different people, um, you're going to start to believe it. And so a, a lot of the operations that a politician or a marketer or any of the folks are trying to influence people's behaviors or attitudes, a lot of the things they employ now are just trying to get multiple trusted people to say something so that people start to believe it. Right. And that's sort of a grassroots way of, uh, of priming the pump so that when a politician or a marketer comes out and says it, they've already heard it. And so they're more likely to believe it. Now, this is not an absolute. And, and I want to make sure this is clear too. Like, it's not as though this always works. It just increases the probability. Right. So, um, right. you know, it's not, not, not as though it's hundred percent effective, but it does increase the probability. So, um, yeah, so social media has certainly opened up channels and given people access to to do this more and more. And part of social media that really exacerbates this is the algorithms that choose what you're going to see. Um, those algorithms are based on trying to make you interact with whatever platform you're you're interacting with more often. And so, what are you going to interact with more often? The things that confirm the things you already believe. And so. Um, not only do you have your friends and the influencers around you sending these messages, you have these platforms whose algorithms are tuned to try to get you things that sort of resonate with you or or are on the opposite side, make you mad, right? So the, what engages people, things they agree with or things they disagree with. And so um, you start to get all these things that are sort of creating a little bit of a, a little mini echo chamber. And so... Um, not only do you have like people standing up and giving speeches, you have these sort of grassroots efforts and you have these algorithms uh, that are making people hear the same thing over and over again. And so it starts to create the ability for people to really influence broad swaths of the population simply by making sure they hear something over and over and over again. And I think what you just said is the most important point of this. It's, it's social media and the algorithms because and, and I've heard criticism of, and I'll just use Facebook as an example, criticism of them because the algorithms they use, the things that pop up on your feeds, they are criticized for, for kind of manipulating what goes what goes on there because they know click clicks drive drive their business right, so they want to keep you engaged, so they're going to put something on there that they know you and your friends it's a hot topic, and they just keep feeding this stuff to you, and I think that's a. a, a very important point you made. I think that's the most dangerous part of this is it keeps us in our echo chambers and we stop looking for facts. Yeah. And I don't want to, um, I don't want to come across as being anti-social media. Like I'm actually a big fan of social media. I think it has a lot of really positive benefits, but I think in the same way that we have not developed um, sort of patterns and ways of interacting with the world that's full of large data and information, um, 
we have all these new technologies, which are really, I think, paradigm shifting in ways that we don't fully understand yet. Yeah. And we don't have ways of thinking about these, right? You can just think about all the different things that have gone on. Um, and, and again, just picking Donald Trump because this happened to him, um, being thrown off Twitter, right? And being thrown off some of these social media platforms. Um, we don't have experience in trying to understand the power of social media and how to guard that power from being used for good um, while not being used for bad. And, and, you know, what is bad? Like, you know, what does it look like? Like, there's 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 just a bunch of challenges we have as a society and how to deal with uh, these platforms. I think I think there's a lot of good social media can do. I think there's a lot of good social media does do. I think the thing we have to be careful of though is um, we don't have enough experience to understand the full power of this, and we don't have enough experience to understand how to effectively deal with a world that is full of these kinds of platforms. The, again, what they really do is they give us access to just amazing amounts of information and. Oh, by the way, the other thing they do is they give marketers and politicians access to tons of information about people so that they can target them in very uh, precise ways. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, this reminds me of my childhood when I was a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons, right? Yep. These, com- these commercials come on and these toys look so good. You got like the GI Joes and these, uh, these bombs blast in and whatever game it was, it looked so great. And my, and my mother had to teach me that this is just marketing, the commercials make it look good. Same thing with the cereal boxes. When I go down the aisle, I wanted, I used to pick cereals for the toy that was in the box. And my mother said, you're not, you don't even want that cereal. You want that top or that, those jacks, whatever, you know? And I was like, no, I really want the cereal. I didn't really want the cereal. I wanted the toy, right? Uh And the, the, the toys on the commercials, they were terrible. The toys in the cereal boxes were terrible. And I had to learn the hard way, you know? That's what I, that's what I think a lot of this is. But what you're saying that that's the way I look at it. Like all of this technology with the social media platforms, it's all new to us. And we're a lot in a lot of ways, we're like children with this technology, and we have to learn the hard way. And because it's so new, like you say, all this information, we're not we haven't evolved enough to to adapt to all this and to learn what to do with it. I don't think a lot of it. I think we're starting to because we see documentaries on it, we read the news, we're starting to understand how these things show up in our feeds and how marketers and influencers and politicians try to manipulate us. But I don't think, I mean, we're not there yet. Like, I think we have an idea, but we just blow right by it. But I think in a lot of ways, we need to learn what's really going on with these feeds and what, what they're really trying to do to us. And I don't think we're there. This is a new paradigm. We just, we're, we're just not used to it, right? We're not used to it in terms of the way that we think about the world. We're not used to it in terms of how we think about these technologies and, you know, how they are actually going to be deployed. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a brand new world with, you know, brand new implications. And I'm sure every generation when the phone came out, when the TV came out, when, you know, the printing press came out, I mean, these were new worlds and things had to adapt. And I'm going to suspect folks there struggled, but the speed at which we're having to deal with this, I think is, much more rapid now. And I suspect the struggle is a little bit different than it was um, in those prior sort of, uh, you know, changes in technology and the way that information shared. Although again, I always have to be careful. There's always a bias. We always assume that our world is, um, you know, more complicated and worse and, you know, all those kinds of things. So. I agree with you, but I, th- I think the stakes are so much higher. I think if we look at what, what was going on in the past, like, okay, they're trying to sell us this new refrigerator or this, or this new car and big deal there, you know, for, for 
for generations, people have been trying to separate us from our money. That's just what marketers do. But this is different. These stakes are higher. These there are there are people that are trying to manipulate the way we think, and we're trying and trying to manipulate truths these days. And I think those stakes are much higher than trying to get us to buy a washing machine, and much more dangerous. I, I agree with you. I think it, the stakes are much higher. I think it is different. Um, but the fundamental thing I think we have is a problem that we don't know yet how to deal with it. And I think the challenge is, is we start thinking about like, what does it mean? Um, you know, what, what does free speech mean in this context when, um, private companies are wielding so much power and access to people, um, when the algorithms are so good, when people can be targeted, um, you know, what does free speech look like in that world? What, what constraints exists there? What if it's being used for bad? Like there's just all kinds of questions. I think we haven't been able to wrestle with because, you know, the questions themselves start to intersect with a lot of the things that we hold as, you know, near and dear as people who live in the United States and who are brought up in a particular, you know, sort of uh, context. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I just think this topic that you brought up today adds a lot to all the other things we were talking about. Like, like when we, only interact with certain with with our group that thinks a certain way and we only go out and try to confirm our, our own biases right now you add this layer on top of it where th- this repetition effect or, or or illusory effect where if you just keep hearing the same thing over you start to believe it's true and you only talk to the people in your group you add that to it i mean you you could see how how much trouble we're in and, and just tr- when <laughs> when people believe certain things are facts and others believe the exact opposite are facts. It's it's no wonder we're having the, the 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 problems that we're having just trying to talk to people. You know, it's 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 a hard set of it's a hard set of questions, and it's yeah. it's it's only gonna it's only gonna get um, I don't know if worse is the right word, but it's only gonna get more complicated as we move forward. I mean, there's yeah, there's all kinds of technological advancements happening. So have you uh, have you heard about William Shatner's latest uh, one of his latest endeavors? Captain Kirk? No, no, I have not. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's 90 years old and um, he's working with this company called Storyfile. And what this company is doing is um, they are going to uh, record William Shatner answering questions um, and they're going to use those recordings and the way he answered those questions to be able to create a virtual version of William Shatner that could actually answer other kinds of questions in the future. So based on the the way that he's able to answer these questions, um, conceivably, you know, 50 years from now, someone could go to a hologram of William Shatner and say, hey, William, what do you think about this? And the the AI that was utilizing the underlying data and the questions he'd answered before would be able to say, well, you know, I think this is how you should handle this situation or how you should deal with the situation. And so, um you know, it's only going to get more complicated as this technology continues to move forward. I mean, think think about that. Like, what do you what do you think about that? What do you think about that story file um, application? Yeah, I mean, to me, that's just. I guess I'm just one of those old fogies now because that's ridiculous to me. I would not go to William Shatner's hologram. <laughs> I would not, I wouldn't go to George Washington's hologram. You know, because this whole AI thing is just no. That's that's ridiculous to me. But the, the the issue is is that this technology, um, when we think about the data and information that we use to shape our perspectives and opinions, um, right now we have access to more than we have ever had access to in the history of time. But you're seeing how that um, pool of information is becoming polluted, right? People are using social media 
to put out false information. Um, AI is almost to the point where you can put out indistinguishable videos that have been doctored. So they're deep fakes. Yeah. Uh, pe- people can't really tell, um, you know, where the video comes from, whether it's been doctored or not. You can have yeah, deep fake images. Scary. You can have deep fake audio recordings. Um, you can have people from the, you know, the, the great beyond who are, uh, you know, answering questions based on the logic they, the AI machine was able to pick up on the way they answered questions before. Um, and so right now we're still trying to figure out how to deal with social media in a world that's largely just, um, you know, relatively true, but being polluted with some information here pretty soon, we're going to be living in a world that has all this data and information that is incredibly polluted by folks who are producing things and creating things, which it's very difficult to discern what is true and what is not true in those situations. Exactly right. It's just going to get harder and more complicated. And you just got to, it's what we always talk about. You just got to beware. Like you got to go searching for the truth yourself. People are trying to manipulate you or they're trying to, to, to get you to believe falsehoods. And it's up to you. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of defense going on before that stuff gets to you. It's almost entirely up to you to sift through it and, and, and do the work yourself. And I hate to say it, but it's, it's a lot of people don't want to do it because it's just so much easier to just sit back and say, yeah, that sounds right. Welcome back. Donnie, thank you for bringing up this topic. This is uh, one I had never heard of before today, this illusory effect or this repetition effect, or I'm sure it goes by several other names, but hearing things over and over makes them, makes you more likely to believe a falsehood. So that, that was really interesting. And it goes hand in hand with a lot of what we've talked about. And uh, thanks. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. Yeah, no problem. And again, like in my mind, it just continues to highlight this idea that um, number one, in a world of big data and analytics, uh, you know, a lot of it is the actual math and the the way you think about numbers and information, but a lot of it's the psychology and sociology as well. And so, um, you know, first of all, it just keeps reminding me of that over and over again. It, it's it's about the data and information, about the math and about the statistics, but it's also about the the psychology and sociology. And the other thing that I um, I feel like uh, maybe I'll be thinking about this for the rest of my life is uh, how much of a different paradigm we live in today than what we've lived in historically. Like the amount of information that we have access to, um, the technology that is generating that information, the technology that is manipulating that information, um, the technology that's giving us access to that information. These are these are all new to us and. Um, you know, even in the context of being around for a decade or two, that's still new in the grand scheme of, you know, society. And uh, I think we just have a long way to go to figure out how to to be effective in these kinds of situations. And there, there's some really hard questions in there, really hard questions about, you know, how it interacts with some of the principles we hold near and dear, um, how we'll keep some of those things from causing great harm to our society how we'll continue to harvest the benefits. And again, I'm a big fan of social media. I'm a big fan of AI. I'm a big fan of all these technological advances. I think just like any other technology, we've got to continue to figure out how to leverage its positive benefits while minimizing its negative benefits. And, you know, that's going to create a bunch of hard conversations over the next little bit of time. 
Yeah, those are good points. And um, I think for me, the bottom line is just beware, be on guard, you know, and that thanks to the stuff we talk about on this podcast, I'm ready. I am on guard to find the truth, subjecting yeah. myself to truth. Thanks to Donnie. <laughs> well, don't, not, not thanks to me. I mean, this is, uh, this is um, you know, research that a lot of people are doing in lots of different places. Um, but I, but I think that's right. I mean, I think the, the, the thing we have to continue to, to realize is that um, the ability to think critically about our own beliefs is incredibly important. Um, and it's even more important in this age of big data and analytics. Um, we have to be able to recognize um, our own patterns and ways of thinking and to try to get beyond those things so that we can get closer to the reality that some of this data and information can afford us. Um, but that's a, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a hard thing to do when you've heard things a thousand times, your grandmother said it, your mother said it, your brother and sister said it, your cousins and aunts and uncles and everybody else says it and everybody else believes it. Um, you know, it's difficult to take that second and stop and to really, you know, research is this, is this something that I'm believing just because I've heard it or is there a reality here um, to find information that is, um, you know, not in line with what you already believe, because again, our bias is to go search for information that supports uh, what we already believe, and then to really pour through that information in a way that doesn't, um, you know, lead to uh, <laughs> a sort of bias interpretation of what's going on. Those are all difficult things, but in order to to really be effective in this world of big data analytics, those are the skills that we have to continue to develop. Yep, sounds good. And I will. I'm on guard, Donnie. Moving cool. forward. Cool. All right. Well, uh, we appreciate everybody being a part of uh, the podcast again. We thank you all for listening. And as always, uh, animethics at gmail.com. Uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we hope everybody has a great week. Hope everybody enjoys the week and everybody stays happy and stays healthy. We'll talk to you again soon. It's like food for your ears.